Uh, preaching tonight on the subject of prayer, James chapter number 5 tonight. James chapter number 5. Uh, preaching tonight on the subject that prayer is the key that unlocks big doors. Prayer is the key. You've heard that all your life, haven't you? Prayer is the key that unlocks great old big doors. There's some big, big doors that we're trying to go through. There's some big doors, but it's just a little old key that opens those locks and those doors swing wide open. Prayer is that key. James chapter number five tonight. You can remain seated. Just look at me when you find your place. So let's do this. Say amen. amen. All right. I like it when you say amen. I do believe that going to church is a, is a participating event. It's not just about the person that's on the stage, whether it be a preacher or a singer, but prayer is a participating event. When we pray, we all participate in prayer. When we sing, we all participate in singing. That's why we do these congregational songs. Uh, I like doing these congregational songs because it lets everybody participate in, in singing. And the uh, Bible teaches us to sing, and they can't all of us do a solo. Uh, it, it just wouldn't be pleasing to the ear. Can I get an amen right there? If Austin were to do a solo, it wouldn't be real pleasing to the ear. But when I get to singing one of them congregationals, I'll be singing the third verse while Jesse's singing the fourth, but I'm just having a good time, and he's singing loud enough for that microphone. He's drowning me out, and we're just glorifying the Lord together, even though we ain't even saying the same words. And I probably ain't in the right tune, the right key. I probably ain't got the right melody and all them kind of musical terms, but uh, that's what it's all about. And when it comes preaching time, it's a participation event. Amen. As uh, you engage in the preaching and you uh, you say amen and you get into it, you and you help us in the preaching. Uh, you, you know, you can do t one of two things in in church. You can either um, help the service, you can hinder the service. And when it comes to preaching time, you can help the preaching by getting engaged, by by listening and desiring to hear something from the Lord, and that helps the, helps the preaching and it helps the preacher. And one of the greatest things, there's several things you can do to encourage a man of God, whether it be me as your pastor, I'm standing week after week, whether it be a visiting preacher that comes in. But one of the things that you can do is be consistent in the way that you receive preaching. Uh, don't just say amen when you're feeling good, because if you just say amen when you're feeling good, you ain't going to say amen but one time a month. Amen. When it's truth, say amen. When it's God's word, say amen. And uh, just praise the Lord through the preaching. Uh, the other thing you can do is be in your place, and you're here on a Sunday night, you're in your place. That encourages the preacher. And so those things help us. They encourage us, and uh, that's what it's all about. Let me get into the message tonight. James chapter number 5, Bible says, and uh, verse number 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's read that one more time. Can we say that together tonight? Can y'all read with me? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sin of the error of his way shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Let's pray tonight. Father, I come before you, Lord, th so thankful to be in the house of God once again tonight. So grateful, Lord, that you've given us the opportunity to be able to gather in the house of God. Now, Lord, as I stand before you tonight, God, I stand here in this place where the arm of flesh has failed me. Oftentimes, God, I stand in this place, God, knowing that what we need to say, God, needs to be anointed. God, with our touch and with our spirit, Lord, I realize that I do not have the ability to create anointing, but Lord, that must come from you. Lord, I don't have the ability to work up unction. Lord, that must come from you. Lord, I pray tonight, God, that you would take what you put in my heart. God, I feel like this is my assignment tonight. God, I've done, done the due diligence, God, to pray and to study and to seek you. God, now I pray you'd put your seal of approval upon it. I pray you touch your people. I pray, God, tonight, Lord, that you would, Father, move throughout this place tonight. And God, I pray you'd grow us in faith, grow us, Father, in our knowledge of the Word of God. I pray, God, you'd teach us, God, to do those things, God, which your Word commands. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would help hearts in this place, encourage the saints of God, 
God. Our Lord, I pray tonight the sinner man, woman, boy, girl that may be in the building tonight, may their heart be gripped with great Holy Ghost conviction and may they be drawn to you this evening. Father, for all that you do, we'll praise you. Lord, we realize and recognize tonight, God, that anything and everything, God, that's done of eternal value, Lord, that it'll be by you, through you, and because of you. And so, Lord, tonight we just want to go ahead and give you the glory and give you the honor and give you the praise. Lord, help me tonight, God, while I'm preaching. I'm preaching on the subject of prayer, but Lord, I pray you'd help me tonight to magnify Jesus in this place, God, far beyond anything and everything else. And Lord, tonight I pray, God, take us to the next level. God, we do desire to be what you want us to be. Lord, we love you tonight. We ask your blessing upon this time of preaching. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As we come to these familiar verses in the book of James, these are a familiar place. We oftentimes read these verses when we are uh, someone is sick and we'll anoint them with oil and we'll go over these verses and we'll talk about them and oftentimes we'll stop short of, uh, of reading on through verse number 17 and verse number 18 about the fact that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, that he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three and six years and then likewise in verse number 18 he prayed again and the heaven gave rain. So James is telling us in verse number 16 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He's setting the context in the, in the theme of sickness and he's setting the context in the need that we can pray uh, over our sickness and we can pray in faith and that God can and God will heal us and help us. And he goes on to say the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much and he proves that point by teaching us of Elijah and what Elijah did. First Kings chapter number 17, Elijah steps on the scene. He just comes out of nowhere. Here he is. He stands before Ahab. He's the man of God and he tells Ahab that it's not going to rain the face of earth for three years because of the judgment of God and he says that he knows that it's going to happen because he stood before the Lord. He's been in a time of prayer. Elijah has spent some time in communion with God and he stands before Ahab as God's weather man that is sure of what the weather's going to be. I remember when Bob Caldwell used to be the weather man, don't you? I used to think Bob Caldwell was the dumbest man on earth because he'd predict the weather and he'd even get up there sometimes he'd say, what you got on your fence post? What it is? And I thought, boy, they can pay me to say that instead of you. But anyway, Elijah stands as God's weather man and he's convinced of what's going to happen and it happens just the way that he said that it would because he's been in prayer with the Lord. And so we see that this, this thought of the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availing much, it is such a small thing to think about prayer. For us just to go to the Lord and pray and talk to him is but a small thing. But it's just a, a little key. But just as when Elijah prayed, that little key opened up the windows of heaven and it shut up the windows of heaven. So to this very day, prayer still is the key. Such a small and a little thing. But it should be a big part of our lives. And it is, my friend, the key that opens great big doors. It is the key that opens the prayer of the key, the door of revival. It is the key that opens the door of the hardened sinners that we've give up on getting saved by the grace of God. It is the key that opens the door of the lukewarm church going ahead and just stepping into the waters and saying we're not going to be lukewarm anymore, but we're going to live our lives for the glory of God and we're going to live with fire under us and in us and fire working through us. It is the key, my friend, that changes the atmosphere and changes the attitude of the church. It is, ladies and gentlemen, the key that opens the door of God doing those things that you step back and you say only God could have done that. It is the key that opens the door of the absolute impossible being done right before your very eyes. Now, I, I love preaching a big God because I believe in a big God. I believe it's a big God that saved me. I believe it's a big God that indwells me. I believe it's a big God that never forsakes me nor leaves me. I believe it's a big God that said I am your shepherd I believe in a big God tonight I like it whenever we just sell out we just in faith we just believe in great big things I don't believe there's anything too big to ask of God because I believe he is my friend I'm the God that is there's nothing impossible with him and nothing too hard for him I believe tonight that he is a big God we said oftentimes this little statement that prayer is the key and we think about it in the, in the life of Elijah he's a man subject to like passions as you are, James said. Uh, that means that he had his ups and he had his downs. He had his fears and he had his doubts. He had his time of depression under the juniper tree. 
see. He lived in days of victory and he lived in days of defeat. But the secret to his life of power was that time of secret prayer that he had just secret communion between him and the Lord. You see, Elijah, his life had those ups and downs. We see him under the juniper tree, but it's an undeniable fact that Elijah lived a life of great victory and of great power. He was the prophet of prophets. He was the miracle working prophet. He is the one that stands out in the word of God as being my friend, God's man that he worked through in those days and in that hour. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Lord allowed him to be there. God honored him so much that he didn't even have to die. He is caught up in a whirlwind. Uh, my friend, we find that Elijah lived this life of great power and it all hinged, my friend, all of that power hinged upon the little secret place that he had in his life when he communed between him and God. And my friend, we too can access great power that the Lord has. I'm telling you, God wants to work in our life in power. He wants us to be a victorious people. He wants us to be, my friend, a people that can walk through this life uh, knowing, my friend, that they can't control us, but that God's the one that gives us the victory. He's the one that gives us our provision. He's the one that puts food on our table. He is our protector. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is the one, my friend, that calls the shots in our life. He's the one that says, my friend, when our last day is and our last breath will be, I'm telling you, when we get to that place understanding that there is power in the Christian life that is accessed just simply by prayer, I believe it changed our lives forever. So what is prayer? Prayer simply is communion with God or communication with God. I want to say that it is more than just communication with God. It is communication and communion with God. Uh, my friend, prayer is not a ritual, but prayer is a relationship. Prayer is not just going through emotion, but prayer is meeting with the Master. Prayer is more than a position, but it is a disp disposition of our lives. It's more than just positioning ourselves on our face, but prayer is the position of our heart. It is us, my friend, coming before the Lord in humility, admitting that we need Him more than we need anything else. Prayer is more than giving God a list of the needs that we have in our life, but it's a time of fellowship and a time of communion with Christ. We understand through the New Testament, Jesus said that your Father knows your needs. He knows everything that we have need of. Prayer really is more than just asking God for things, but prayer is about having a time of communication and communion with Him, just spending some time with the Lord. There are times that I have a time of prayer. I really don't just say all that much at all. I mean, I just sit aside and maybe pray for a little while audibly, but then just sit there and just, just enjoy the presence of God and, and just enjoy thinking about the Lord and meditating on His goodness and meditating on the Word. That's still prayer when you're in one of those times and, and doing those things. We find that prayer is, is, my friend, the strength of our relationship with Christ just as communication is the strength of any relationship. Uh, any marriage book you would read whether it be a Christian author or whether it be a secular author they're going to tell you this one thing that the key to any relationship is communication and the same is true in our relationship with the Lord prayer my friend is something that any Christian can do there's nobody in the building tonight that cannot pray but it's one of those things it's just amazing it's one of the great benefits of the Christian life we can commune with the Lord and it doesn't matter if you're young middle aged or old it doesn't matter if you're single or married. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. It doesn't matter if you just barely can do anything at all physically or if you could if you could do everything that it could be done physically. You can pray tonight. You have the opportunity of prayer and the Lord wants you to pray. Prayer is something that every single person in this building that's saved by the grace of God is qualified to do. Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can sing. Not everybody can play a musical instrument. Not everybody can do certain things in the church. But I'm telling you tonight every single person can pray. Everybody can, can operate the little key that opens great big doors. Prayer, my friend, makes a great difference. So I wonder why we don't pray. Why do we not pray? I'm convinced in these days, and I'm, not, I'm trying to encourage you tonight, and I don't want to be mean to all night, but I wonder why do we not pray like we ought to pray? I venture to say that in the days that we live in, probably one of the greatest faults of the church is our prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Why don't we pray? I believe oftentimes we don't pray because we forget. 
We forget what an opportunity that we have in prayer. We forget that prayer is a privilege that we have been given. We can pray because Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. And when he died on the cross and the earthquake, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And it symbolized that the way has been made. And previously, for you and I to pray, it would have been much different than it is today. But now we can pray because the Holy of Holies has been opened up. We can go to the throne room. We can go through Jesus and by the blood. And he sent the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost that takes our prayers and presents them to Jesus. And Jesus takes them to the Father. And everything that gets to the Father by the mouth of Jesus, he answers and he hears and he does it. There's never been one thing that Jesus has asked of the Father uh, that God the Father denied. And so if it ever gets to Jesus, Jesus gets it to the Father. I'm telling you, it's just as good as being done. What a privilege that we have to enter into the throne room in heaven tonight. I physically, I cannot go to that place. But in prayer, through prayer, and by prayer, I can lift up the names of these loved ones. I can lift up the names of people that I may not be able to talk to or go to where they're at physically. It just may be absolutely, utterly impossible for me to go to where they're at. But I can present their need to the Father and God the Holy Ghost can go to where they're at, wherever they may be. God can do a work in their life. There was my friend, a, a eunuch there in Acts chapter number 8. He was in the desert of Samaria and he didn't know how to get saved. He didn't, he was reading Isaiah 53. He'd been to Jerusalem to worship and he left there so empty and he didn't know what he was going to do and he's sitting out there in that desert but God knew he was there and God my friend was able to touch Philip my friend while he was in Samaria and he brought him out there into that desert wilderness and he began to preach the word of God to a tender hearted man that man got saved by the grace of God I'm telling you God can still do that in these days and in these hours we can present the name of the eunuchs in our life to God the Father he can send some Philip to them he can tender their heart they too can get saved by the amazing grace of God hey God's still in business he ain't put a closed sign up he's still on his throne he's still got all power I'm telling you tonight he's still almighty in every way he has not ceased to be God nor will he ever cease to be God he's still in control in 2023 I'm glad to report to you in the days of Elijah Jezebel and Ahaz may have been running the show and it may seem like that down here sometimes but I want to tell you who's in charge tonight it ain't me, Ahab and Jezebel. It ain't my friend, uh, anybody in Washington, D.C. China's not in control. Putin's not in control. I'm going to tell you who's in control. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. Uh, he is the one tonight that is in control. And I want you to know this evening uh, that he delights in you communicating and communing with him. Proverbs chapter number 15 says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You want to make God's day? Just humble your heart and say, Lord, I just come to talk to you for a few minutes. Lord, I just want to talk to you for a little while. Lord, I just want to spend a little time with you. Bible says that is the delight of the Lord. I'm glad tonight that we have a privilege of prayer. I believe oftentimes we don't pray because we forget about what a privilege it is. I believe oftentimes we don't pray because we forget about the great prospects of prayer, the promises of prayer. Matthew 21 says, In all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. I'm telling you, it don't get no better than that. It don't get no better than them promises around prayer. Matthew 7 and 7 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. John first. John 5 and 14 says this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything, you ought to underline that in your Bible, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. My, what a prospect in prayer. James said you lust and you have not, you kill, you desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. It don't get much better than that. God didn't even, he didn't say you have to, you have to be a, a great orator in prayer. He didn't say you have to sound like Billy Graham when you pray. He didn't say you have to sound like Austin Frady when you pray. He didn't say you have to pray like Ira Jones or Jesse or Matt Nation. You didn't have to pray like me. I don't have to pray like you. He just said, ask, and you shall receive. He said, you have not because you ask not. He said, ask in faith, believe it, and it shall be done unto you. I believe we don't pray oftentimes because we forget about that there is power in prayer. How many times do we pray 
And oh, we're so defeated even in our prayer. And we're doing it because we know that we ought to do it. And, and I believe that we ought to do it even when we don't feel like doing it. I'll get to that in a minute. But oftentimes we pray and we forget that there is power in prayer. No one believes in the power of prayer more than the devil. He doesn't practice it, of course. But he sure has suffered great loss because of it. Amen. Brother Kevin, there was a day that you were in the grips of the adversary and there's some people got to praying and I'm telling you, the devil is embarrassed tonight because there's a dear brother sitting on the front pew at Old Savannah Baptist Church. Brother Matt, there was a day that you were in the grips of the adversary but somebody prayed, somebody got a hold of heaven and the good God of heaven came by and he put the devil at bay for just a little bit. He said, choose you this day whom you'll serve, heaven or hell, Jesus or the devil. I'm glad you chose Jesus, brother, and you're here today is an embarrassment to the devil that the devil can testify that there is power in prayer because he suffered great loss. You're sitting in the building today because somebody prayed for you. Somebody got a hold of heaven just for you. Somebody pushed back hell for you and you are sitting here today as a testament that there is power in prayer. Even the devil knows that, thank God. There's nothing that he fears more than a saint going down on their knees. The New Testament church is a testament that there's power in prayer. As a matter of fact, prayer was as common as breathing in the New Testament church. Souls were saved. Lives were changed every single day. Uh, Peter was there in prison. Those prison bars swung open because the church made prayer without ceasing. They were even astonished when God answered it, but God still heard their prayer. I, I mean, they got just a little bit of faith. They didn't have a whole lot of faith because when Peter came knocking on the door, they didn't even believe it was him, but they had a little mustard seed of faith. They had enough to believe that God could. They didn't believe that he would, but they had enough to believe that he could, and he did. And when Peter came knocking on the door, Peter stood before him. The damsel ran back in. She didn't even let Peter in because she didn't really believe that was him. But thanks be unto God. I'm telling you, God's in the prayer answering business. He's in the saving business. He's in the in the jail bar opening business. He is the chain breaker and the way maker. I'm telling you tonight, God answers prayer. There is power in prayer. How fine, ladies and gentlemen. There's power in prayer. It's where our blessings come from. I believe we don't pray oftentimes because we don't view the sin of prayerlessness like God does. Now watch this just a minute. I want you to see this. Maybe you write this down. You don't have to turn to it now. Maybe you write this down. You go back and look at it. Samuel viewed in the Old Testament prayerlessness not just as a neglect or something that he ought to have done. He viewed it as a sin. Are you with me tonight? Samuel viewed a prayerless life as sin. First Samuel chapter number 12, verse number 19 through 23. The Bible says, All the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants of the Lord thy God, that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil. Ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, for ye have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn not ye aside, for ye should go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover as for me, God forbid that I should sin, watch this, sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you of the good and the right way. Those people are begging Samuel. They're saying don't quit praying for us. And Samuel said God forbid. God forbid that I should cease to pray. And commit a sin in doing so. I believe the greatest sin of the church age in this hour. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on in churches all across our land. No doubt, Brother Jesse, there's fornication, adultery, drunkenness. There's unqualified men standing behind pulpits trying to preach. There's unqualified men in positions like the deaconship. There's all kinds of things going on all across our land. But the greatest sin as a whole is the sin of prayerlessness. The greatest sin among preachers. I, I'm sure these preachers that look at pornography. I'm sure these preachers steeped in adultery. I'm sure these preachers that are lies and cheats and beats. But the greatest sin among preachers is the sin of prayerlessness. I'm sure these singing groups that 
They got drug addicted members. I'm sure they sing in groups. They got, they got people singing in them that don't love the Lord a bit more than nothing. But the greatest sin of our day is the sin of prayerlessness. The Leo to see in church is in the shape that it's in because somebody quit praying. Are you with me? May God stir our hearts. I've been praying. I've been talking to the Lord about some of these things in my own life, and, and I believe it rolls over the church. But one of the greatest things that anybody could ever say about Old Savannah Baptist Church is that she's a praying church. It'd be wonderful if they said, boy, that church is full up there. Busting at the seams. It'd be wonderful, Brother Frankie, if they said we got a nice building. It'd be wonderful if they said, boy, she's got nice grounds and, and their facilities are great. It'd be wonderful, Brother Jesse, when they, when they brag on the choir and they ought to. It's wonderful when they brag on the musicians. It's wonderful when they brag on the preaching. But the greatest thing that they could ever say about Old Savannah Baptist Church is that it's a praying church. Because it's a praying church that gets things done for the glory of God. It'll be a praying church that holds back hell in these days. It'll be a praying church that sees sinners walk in the aisle and get saved, broken, under conviction. I'm talking about true converts. I'm talking about true converts. Amen. There's nothing discourages my heart more than the revolving door in the altar. Nothing discourages my heart more. Amen. I'm talking about true, com true convert. They get truly converted, brother. I, when they are brokenhearted to the point, they see their self as lost as God sees them lost. They see their sin as exceedingly sinful. When I got saved, Brother Jesse, I was lost. I recognized and realized because God the Holy Ghost had flipped on the, the illuminator in my heart, showed me my sin was exceeding sinful. I recognized and realized that there was no amount of self-righteousness that could pay for my sin. I'm telling you, I saw myself, my friend, hanging out over hell on a rotten corn stalk, as my pastor would say, just the mercy of God. But God swooped in, saved me by amazing grace. And my friend, I'm still in this thing today because I recognized and realized, first of all, that I was lost. Man, God get lost for him, get saved. And only through prayer, God the Holy Ghost get to moving and gripping a heart, pulling a heart, wooing a soul that they might be saved by the grace of God. There's a lot of these people, they ain't coming to church. They ain't getting saved because they ain't never got lost. Amen. We need to pray that God the Holy Ghost will get a hold of their heart. They'll see their sin like God sees it. Amen. I'm telling you, when a man gets to seeing his sin like God sees it, it'll make him sick, Brother Kevin. Make him sick. When you get to seeing your sin and you don't see it, that, that it's just, it, it ain't no worse than Brother So-and-So's. It ain't no worse than Sister So-and-So. But you get to seeing your sin in the eyes of a holy God, I'm telling you, do something to turn you from the inside out. It'll make you absolutely sick. You'll be ready to do something. Amen. God don't force anybody to get saved. But whenever you get to the place that you really get lost, I'm talking about really lost, you'll want to get saved. I believe that. When I got lost, Brother Matt, I wanted to get saved. My pastor didn't have to come back there and twist my arm. He didn't have to drag me to the altar, Brother Jesse. I'm telling you, when I got lost sitting on that pew, I wanted to be saved by the grace of God. When I got in that altar, brother, I was just near begging God to save me because I wanted to be saved by the grace. I was afraid God would leave me. I was afraid, I was afraid it done too late. I was afraid if I waited one second longer, Miss Barb, I wouldn't make it. I was afraid I'd die in that pew before I could ever get to that altar. I'm telling you, when you get lost, then you can get saved. Really get saved. Jesus standing with outstretched arms any moment, any second, but a man's got to see himself lost. And undone before a thrice holy God. And then he can get saved by the grace of God. And I believe the prayers of God's people invoke the Holy Ghost of God, the highest sheriff of heaven, on a sinner's trail to go get them. Andrew Murray once said in a meeting of ministers, there is probably no single sin in which each of us ought to acknowledge the deeper shame than the sin of prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is a sin. It's just simply rooted in pride. We're saying before God, we don't need you when we do not pray. That's the sin of the Laodicean church, is it not? We're rich in increase with goods and have need of nothing. It translates in our day to churches like ours into the sin of prayerlessness. When we don't pray before we come to church, we're saying, God, our choir is good enough to do what needs to be done. God, our, our preacher, he, he's a good preacher. He, he's good enough to get the job done today. When we come, we're saying, Brother Frankie, that, that our people, they're good people, and they're good enough to get the job done today. God, you just, you just take care of somebody else today. We don't really need you. 
It's what we're saying when we don't pray before we come to the house of God. But I'm telling you, it don't matter how good our choir is. It don't matter, Brother Matt, who the preacher is. It don't matter who is sitting in the pews if somebody ain't got a hold of God. If he don't pass by this way, brother, it don't matter how many points I got. It don't matter what kind of scripture I read to you. It don't matter how, how I preach it. It don't matter how loud I get or how low I get. It don't matter if I weep or if I get down on the floor and crawl back through the aisle. It don't matter what kind of antics we do. It will not matter unless God the Holy Ghost settles in this place, starts working in hearts and working in lives. Are you with me tonight? May God help us to be a praying people. I believe that we don't pray because we underestimate the enemy. We underestimate that we have a very real enemy. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 8, the Bible says, But be ye sober and vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We truly tonight have an enemy. There is a very real devil. There is a very real enemy that is the devourer of our souls. He desires to steal, kill, and destroy. He's after your children and he's after my children. He's after the young people in this church. He's after every marriage in this church. He's after every, every older person in this church. He's trying to, trying to give you his encyclopedia of excuses why you don't need to do this and you don't need to do that. He's doing everything he can to pour water on the fires that God's starting in your life. He's trying to cool you off. He'll try to get you looking cross-eyed at your brother or cross-eyed at your sister. He'll try to make you bitter and root unforgiveness in your heart. He'll try to make you jealous so that you won't be zealous for the Lord. He'll do everything that he can do, friend, to devour you by discouraging you and dividing in the house of God. He knows if he can pick the people of God apart, he'll discourage those that ain't discouraged. He can hinder those that ain't hindered right now if he can just start pulling us apart because after a while if he keeps pulling apart and plucking out, he's eventually going to get somebody that's real close to us and he's going to get somebody that's attached to us and he's going to get somebody that means something to us. May God help us to understand that we have a very real enemy. When I go to bed tonight, Brother Jesse, the devil is still on the rampage. When I wake up in the morning, he's going to be on the rampage. Next week, he's going to be on the rampage. I don't know where I got this idea from. It sure ain't in the Bible. I used to think when I first got saved and I first started preaching, I thought, boy, I wish I'd get, get a few years under my belt, a little bit of experience. This thing be a little bit easier. I'm telling you, it don't work that way. I'm telling you, the older you get, the more you get in this thing, the more spiritually mature you become, the more you learn about God's Word. I'm telling you, the harder it gets, I believe there's more demons you have to fight. I believe there's more devils that are sent out way. I believe, my friend, with all of my heart, that the devil, I believe he puts targets on us at times. and I believe he unleashes parts of hell against us. I believe these demons that come against us. I believe our church fights hell by the acre. I, I'm telling you, I believe we fight some spiritual warfare. I, my friend, I believe if we could really see what's going on in the heavenlies, I believe it absolutely scare us absolutely to death. But I'm glad to report to you, friend, I, that my God is still in control. There's legions of angels, no doubt, that he puts it in camps about us and protects us, uh, and my friend, but we should never underestimate the fact that we have a very real devil that is not in the lake of fire and brimstone for all of eternity right now, but he is the God of this world, and he is loose seeking whom he may devour. He's looking, looking in our lives and in our church, and we combat those forces of hell in prayer. Michael the archangel durst not bring accusation against the devil. Friend, we dare not try to arm him in the arm of the flesh. We dare not try to subdue him in the arm of the flesh. He is far greater in power than we will ever think about being friend. But I'm glad to report to you we can go to Jesus and at the name of Jesus, friend, uh, he will become obedient to him. Brother Frankie, I have no clout with the devil. All he's looking at me at, Brother Kevin, is a target to be a trophy to make shipwreck of the faith and put another check on his belt of somebody that he's destroyed their life to try to mar the name of Jesus. That's the only thing he looks at me and you for. And he's really not mad at Austin Fred. He's mad because I made the image of God, Brother Jesse. And he's mad because I'm saved by the grace of God. And he's mad because I'm doing everything I can do to throw some jabs in there for, for the glory of God and exalt Jesus Christ. He's mad about those things. It's really not about me personally. It's all about God. 
But when Jesus was over in Matthew chapter number four, uh, when he got down there to that last temptation, he said, Satan, you get out of here. Uh, paraphrasing, you get out of here, Satan. I'm telling you, Satan, in that moment, he didn't stand up. He didn't rear up. He didn't puff his chest out. In that moment, he had to flee. I believe we don't pray sometimes because we underestimate the enemy. We think we can get by this life without the help of our Jesus. We think we can strong arm the devil. I'm telling you, he's got a hold in a lot of lives right now. The only way we'll ever break those holds is through prayer. I believe we don't pray because oftentimes we count the cost too much. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that busyness is the greatest enemy of our prayers. Busyness. I'm preaching to people tonight that you believe in prayer. You've seen prayer. You've seen prayers answered. You've seen God do things. You've seen a church pray and God do amazing things. You've seen people say that you prayed for. I mean, you have, you're not new Christians, most of you in the building tonight. You have literally seen God do things that you have directly asked Him for and you knew. I mean, the Spirit of God even put His seal of approval on it. When He done certain things, He, He kind of tapped you in your heart and He said, that's what I can do. That's what answer prayers look like. He's testified that to us. I mean, some of us tonight in the building, we got several things that we could stand up and testify to tonight that God is a prayer answering God. But my friend, it's not tonight that we don't believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. And we know that we need to pray. I'm not, I'm not preaching anything new to you in that area. But busyness is the greatest enemy of our prayer lives. Busyness. Busyness. Brother Ron, Von Ramsey, pastor of Denver Baptist Church, Victory, North Carolina. They meet at 8 o'clock every Sunday morning. 8 o'clock, him and some young preachers in his church, they come in there. They begin to pray every Sunday morning. They begin to pray for their church. They pray for other churches. I heard him tell the other day how many churches they pray for. Keep remember how many it is, like 150, 160 churches, something like that. They pray for every single Sunday morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. Most of you ain't even out of bed yet. Most of you ain't eat your breakfast on Sunday morning. Most of you ain't got your clothes on, your hair done, your makeup put on. But there's some people in a prayer room crying out, praying, asking God to touch and to move and to help. That church, as a result, that prayer room, they had to start another prayer room, have another prayer room at 9 o'clock. They pray from 8 to 9. Then at 9 o'clock, they have about 60 people out of their church that comes at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning to get in that prayer room. Brother Vaughn said they, he said they almost beaten at the door wanting to get in there. They're wanting, desiring to pray. God has honored them. You heard him preach it just a, a few months ago in the June tent meeting. He told about his brother getting saved. Product. Not a brother Vaughn's preaching, though he's a wonderful preacher. It's not a product of Victory Baptist Church choir, though they got a wonderful singing choir. Not a product of their facility, Brother Matt. they got a beautiful facility, though. It's a product of some people. I imagine now that 60 people come 9 o'clock every Sunday morning, Brother, I imagine some of them, they can't sing in the choir. Them young preachers, they, they don't get to be on the stage every Sunday, but they got to be a part of that young man that had been on drugs, caused his family all kinds of trouble, got to be a part of him getting saved by the amazing grace of God. It's worth it. It's worth it to get some things out of the way so we can see God do some things. Brother Vaughn, he prays. They pray like that 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, and 10 o'clock they have Sunday school like we do, 11 o'clock worship service. Brother Vaughn asked Brother Daniel Buchanan, he said, he said, why do we have to pray like this? He said, my daddy was a preacher for years, preached with the power of God on him. He said, he said he had preached in years gone by and said, I know that he prayed. I even seen him pray, and I was with him while he prayed. But he said he didn't have to spend all that time praying like we do. But Daniel said this. He said he was preaching to a generation while they was hoeing the corn, they was praying. He preached to a generation that while they was feeding the cows, they was praying. While they was, while they was slopping the hogs, they was praying. While they was cutting the hay. He's praying. They didn't carry around a cell phone. Oftentimes it wasn't just as, it ain't really ain't been that long ago. Most people had a television in their home. They didn't have the distractions of the day that you and I have. Average person in the United States of America, some will be far more, but the average person in the United States of America spends right at three hours 
watching television every day. I venture to say tonight that if those of you that's got an iPhone, if you went down in there in your settings, and I want to encourage you to do this, go in your settings and turn on the screen time counter. And let that little reminder pop up to you every day or two, however often it does it, that tells you how much screen time you've had in that time. Probably scares to death to know. I was listening to a preacher preach the other day, Brother Jesse, and he said, I couldn't believe it. He said, I don't really spend that much time on my phone. I don't feel like, he said, I don't have games like most people have. He said, I don't have Candy Crush and all them other things. He said, I just got Solitaire and Sanduka on there. He said, that's all I've got. And he said, I usually only use it when I'm in the airport waiting to, waiting to catch a flight to go somewhere to preach and when I'm just killing a little bit of time while I'm waiting in the airport. But he said, that thing come up and, and I can't remember exactly what it was, the number exactly, but I think it was somewhere around 90 hours that he had spent playing Solitaire. And he said, God, the Holy Ghost started pricking my heart. I said, what if you'd have spent that time in prayer? What if you'd have spent that time in my word? What if, you'd have, what if you'd have taken that time and just talked with me and communed with me? What a difference it'd make. Think about this just for a moment. Maybe some people in this building have never prayed for an hour. Maybe some of you have been a long time or hardly ever if you have prayed for an hour. But what if we cut that television time, not completely off, but just cut it in half? And we went from doing what we're doing now to praying one hour a day. You say, preacher, I just don't have time to, to pray an hour a day. What if you cut that television off? Would you have time then? Think about that. I mean, I don't have time to go deer hunting, Brother Jesse, but I go deer hunting. I don't have time to do half the stuff I do, but I do it anyway when I want to do it. Right? Because I count the cost, brother man. Something I want to do. We don't pray because we count the cost of praying worth more than the cost of not praying. But when we don't pray, souls are not saved. When we don't pray, people are dying and going to hell. When we don't pray, that's another day, another month, another year that passes by in our life. And our nation is on a wheel, is on a wheelbarrow ride to hell. Going in a terrible direction. And there's some people that know that God can, know that God will. Are we willing, though, to pay the price to see God do it? Let me give you a couple statements, and I'll get out of the way here. May God stir our hearts to pray like men of days gone by have prayed. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, a prayerless church member is a hindrance. He is in the body like a rotten bone or a decaying tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. The neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. The neglect of prayer devalues the cost of a soul. We need some people in this day, church, who will say, I'll be a prayer warrior. I'll pray. I may not be able to sing in the choir. Maybe I do. I may not be able to play a musician. Maybe I do. I may not be able to preach. Maybe I do. But I can pray, and I need to pray, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate a little piece of my life to pray because I know and I realize and recognize that we need God to do what we cannot do. Well, Matt, we can preach the best you ever heard preaching preached. But unless God puts his seal on There'll be nobody helped. There'll be no eternal value. There'll be nobody saved. We can guilt people into coming to an altar. I've been preaching long enough now. I'll be honest with you. I, sometimes I can figure out the right things to say. But unless God touches your heart, you'll have to come back next, next week and next week and next week. And you'll be just as guilty next week as you was this week because there's been no eternal work done. In your heart. Are you with me? We need God to move in power. Power. E.M. Bounds, he wrote eight different books on prayer. Many of you that read Christian works, you probably have read part of E.M. books on prayer. He, uh, now they've got them compiled into one great big book on prayer, and it's a wonderful book, probably one of the greatest books on prayer outside of Andrew Murray's work that I've ever read. E.M. Bounds was an author and a pastor 
He also served in the Confederate Army as a chaplain. He was even a prisoner of war for a short period of time. He was virtually unknown for 46 years of his ministry. He wrote eight classic books on prayer, some of the greatest, as I said, that I've ever read, but only two of them were published in his lifetime. He would often make other preachers uncomfortable because he would constantly preach and talk about the need of prayer and revival in America. Other preachers, they didn't like him. They didn't care for him because he'd tell them how much we needed revival. They wanted to think the church was doing good. And he inbounds, he'd be that dear brother that would say, we need revival. The inbounds was a real deal. He didn't just say it. Another preacher by the name of W.H. Hodge, I believe was his name, he stayed with him at a, at a meeting that they was preaching at or, or they was visiting at. And this brother stayed in the room with him. He said, I had roomed with many preachers, many great men. And he said, I had heard other men pray, but he said, E.M. Bounds was a man that truly prayed. He said, I woke up way early in the morning. One morning, he said, I heard E.M. Bounds in the bathroom getting ready, taking his bath for the day. I seen him put his clothes on, and early, long before the sun rose, he got down beside of his bed. For several hours on end, he communed with the Lord. Said he wept over there, and he smiled some, and wept some more. But he said, I am blessed to have met a man that really prays. I'd like to ask myself and you tonight, do we really pray? Charles Finney preached with such power that men would fall under conviction just by looking at him. He attributed the power of his preaching not to his ability, but to Daniel Nash and Abel Clary. You've heard me talk about these men. Both of these men were licensed preacher, but they hardly ever preached. They had a burden for prayer. It's said about Daniel Nash that sometimes Charles Feeney would be holding a meeting in a certain town, and Daniel Nash would go out in the woods, and he could be heard crying out to God, groaning and wailing before the Lord, begging God to save sinners for miles away. Charles Feeney, because of the power that had been given to the answer of those men's prayer. He'd walk into an old factory. He began to walk around. People would begin falling under conviction before he ever preached one message. One time he walked into a factory, hundreds of workers. They began to fall under such conviction that they could not continue to do the work that they were doing. The, the uh, supervisor of that factory said, we'll meet in the mule room. That's the biggest room we got. They went in that mule room, put the mules in the stalls. They met in that mule room. Charles Finney preached to them Jesus, and they said nearly everybody in that meeting got saved by the grace of God. A product of some people that said, I'm willing. I'm willing to get under the stage. I'm willing to get behind the stage. I'm willing to get in the woods. Abel Clary, he'd go rent him a house in the town Charles Finney was going to go preach at. He'd rent him a house two and three weeks before. He'd get in that room. One time a lady, she went in that room. She said, I'm worried about him. She, she went out and found somebody else. She said, you got to do something with him. I said, he's been in there for two or three days. There's something wrong with him. said, he's just groaning in the corner of the floor. I don't know what's wrong with him. They said, let him alone. He's talking to the Lord. Then with some men, Brother Ira, they valued a soul like Jesus valued a soul. They counted that time in prayer not as wasted time. They counted that time in prayer as necessary and worth it. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work, Brother Jesse, but I imagine when we get the judgment seat of Christ, I mean, Charles Finney's a far greater preacher than I'll ever be, and I don't mean this as a derogatory remark toward him, but I probably imagine, Brother Matt, that Charles Finney will be somewhere in the back, and Abel Clary and Daniel Nash will be up toward the front. When God goes to listen to them mighty men, like I saw about this morning, I imagine those names will probably be called out even before Charles Finney's name will be called out because those men sought God in prayer. Evan Roberts prayed for 10 to 11 years, starting at the age of 16 years old, before the Welsh revival ever came. Mordecai Ham, he was the preacher preaching when Billy Graham got saved, spent hours in his room wrestling with God, they say oftentimes. Stonewall Jackson, the old great general, Civil War era, motto of his life was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? They said General Jackson would awake many times during the night 
in the heat of some of the greatest battles of the Civil War, he'd wake up in prayer. He'd be praying for his men, praying for the battle. They said oftentimes they'd find General Jackson, Brother Ira, out in the woods, and he'd just be muttering, his lips just moving. And, And many of the soldiers thought he was crazy, but he was talking to God. General Jackson actually was so influential, and God used him in such a way. You won't read this in a history book. It's true nonetheless. General Jackson had such influence on them Confederate soldiers that there was actually a revival in the Confederate Army. In 1863, midsummer, they're seeing as many as 100 converts a week because they had a general that recognized and realized that if anything is going to be done, it's going to take God. Brother Matt, they didn't win the war, so to speak, but they had revival. I say it's worth it. Amen. May God give us some people like E.M. Bounds. May God give us some Daniel Nashes and Abel Clarys. May God give us some Evan Roberts. May God give us some Stonewall Jacksons in this day. I could go on and on. These men like Pray and Hyde and Edward Payson. He had big calluses on his knees because he prayed so much. They said when Edward Payson died, they took him out of his room. They said down beside of his bed on the wooden floor, there was two marks where he had spent so much time. He had His knees had actually wore into the wood in his room. He spent so much time down beside of his bed in prayer. James, actually the writer of the book that I'm preaching to you out of tonight, they called him Old Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his, on his knees. He said he had great old big calluses on his knees. I'm talking about people that prayed, really prayed. And I don't stand here tonight as an authority in this subject, Brother Matt. I'm preaching to me tonight because I need to take up the next level. I'm preaching to some people tonight. I believe he's probably right there with me. We could stand to ask God to help us. Let me tell you how this is going to work. You're not going to want to pray. You're not going to want to pray. It's hard. Prayer is not a playground. It's a battleground. You're not going to want to pray in the morning before you go to work. You're not going to want to pray tomorrow when you get home. You're not going to want to set aside a time in your day but you've got to count the cost. Jesus said, Luke 18, men ought always to pray and faint not. I believe we do what we want to do, and so it's what I want to present to you tonight. Instead of us coming and using an altar and saying, God, I'm going to pray in the morning, and God, I'm going to pray tomorrow night. God, I'm going to pray for my preacher like I need to pray for him. I'm going to pray, God, that you'd break the binders in our services. God, I'm going to pray you bring down the walls and the strongholds. God, I'm going to pray when it gets to altar call time that, that sinners are moving, they hit the altar and they get saved by the grace of God. Instead of us doing that, why don't we come and why don't we say, God, would you give me a desire to pray? God, would you help me to fall in love with praying? I believe that's the key. Because we do what we want to do, don't we, Brother Randy? Miss Allison, we do what we want to do. And if we wanted to pray, I believe we'd be a whole lot more consistent in prayer. So tonight, instead of making promises to God that we ain't going to keep, why don't we come? Why don't we gather around this altar and say, God, would you just help me to fall in love? with praying. Help me to fall in love with communion with you. See, this is the way it'll get to be. You get to praying and making prayer habit in your life. That's what Daniel did, by the way. Daniel chapter number six. He went in there and he prayed three times a day. Bible says when they made that decree that he couldn't pray, he went in there, Brother Ira, and he opened up them windows, this key word in that text, as he did a four time. It wasn't nothing new to him. He wasn't doing it out of spite toward them. It was a habit in his life. As a matter of fact, it was such a habit, it's like eating. He couldn't do without it. You ever notice how your body gets in this? If you eat three times a day, then you've got to eat three times a day. You know what I mean? If you, if you, get, you, if you get on schedule, you eat twice a day, you eat little snacks through the day, your body gets in this habit. Any of y'all eat little Debbie's about 9 o'clock in the morning? Can I get an amen right there? You ever notice about 9 o'clock in the morning, you don't even have to wear a watch. You don't have to set the alarm on your clock. 
but all of a sudden about nine o'clock in the morning, there'll be, there'll be Swiss roll running through your brain. Amen. Honey bun, honey bun, honey bun. Amen. Brother Jesse, when I wake up in the morning, I wish I could be real spiritual and tell you the first thing I think about is Jesus. But when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking, where's the coffee pot at? Through sleep-dimmed eyes, Brother Frankie, I'm looking for the coffee. And on my way to the coffee pot, Brother Matt, I'm trying to say, Lord, help me today. Help me to get to this coffee pot for the glory of God so I don't kill somebody first. Amen. But when you get in the habit of doing something because you want to do it, it starts becoming a part of your life. It starts becoming natural to you. Ian Bounds, no doubt he didn't start out as a great prayer warrior that he was. He started out just like you and I. He started out struggling to pray. But it got to be such a part of his life that he couldn't live his life without it. May God help us to get to that place. Prayer becomes such a part of our lives that we cannot live without it. God's worked some of that in me since I've been preaching not like it needs to be. There's certain little things, certain little... I, I don't like to stand and preach unless I've done certain things before I get behind that pulpit. certain amount of time. I have before, had to before, because things just didn't work out right, but there's certain things, Brother Matt, that's become a habit, the good habits, certain things that I just don't function well unless it works that way. May God work prayer into our lives that it's something that we just absolutely every day we have to do. The souls in the balances. The key to them hardened sinners is God touching their heart. The big door is unlocked by you and I getting real humble before God. Finding us a place of prayer and learning to really pray. <clears throat> Miss Martha, would you come play something softly for us tonight? If you'd stand all over the building tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We need some people in this day that will pray for one another. We need some people in this day that will pray for your pastor. Pray for his family. Some people that will pray for the musicians, that will pray for the singers. We need some people that will pray that God will bless the church, bless the finances. We need some people to pray for the Sunday school teachers. We need some people to pray for our children. Pray for our teenagers. We need some people to pray for the married couples in this church. We need some people to pray that the forces of hell would be bound when we come into this place. We need some people to pray for those that cannot pray for themselves right now. We need some people that can pray when the doctors say there is no hope. When the doctors don't know what to do, we need some people that can get a hold of God. I'm not against modern medicine at all, but I believe we've become so reliant on it We've actually forgot how to pray for God to heal people. We need some people that would make prayer a part of their life. Not just something we do on the weekend when we come to church. Not just something we do on Wednesday. Sir, ma'am, if the altar of prayer in our services is the only time that you really pray, there's some things in your life that need to change tonight. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that because it would help you. It will change your family. 
you start communing with God on a regular basis, it will change your personality. It'll change who you are. You'll start being more like God and less like yourself. You ever notice how you spend time with certain people? You start talking like them. You start sounding like them. You start even doing some things that they do. Don't even realize it at first. If you'd start spending some time with the Lord, your life would start looking less like yours. It'd start looking a whole lot like His. Why don't you come tonight and say, God, help me to fall in love with prayer. Help me to fall in love with communion with you. Maybe there's some young people tonight in the building going through some troubles, some hardships. Have you prayed about them? Have you talked to the Lord about them? Have you really prayed?